Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. All right, well, let's get into the Word this morning. Are you ready? All right. So what I want to talk to you guys uh, about this morning, uh, I want to continue on the theme of what Pastor Quentin has been talking about for the last few weeks about God bringing healing, God bringing a, a, a shoring up about our God-given identity. Uh, how many of you guys have been uh, just listening, you know, and just letting that get into your hearts for the last two weeks? I've, I've talked with many of you and myself as well. It has just been so impactful because it really is true. It really, really, really is true. We've got to start, and he said that a couple of weeks ago, talking about the who and the what, because all of us in here have a what that God wants us to walk out in our lives, our, our purposes and our destinies, but before we can even begin to do that, we've got to get it settled in our hearts about the who that God has made us to be, amen? Because obviously we have an enemy that wants to keep you know, breaking that down, because if we can't even start with a foundation, then we're not going to have something very strong to build upon as we walk out that what in our lives. So we recognize that that is really important. Obviously, the who that God wants us to be is, in, is extremely important. But what I would like to you know, think and, and hope and pray is that as we've been going over this for several weeks, that it's beginning to get into our hearts, Right? And we're beginning to see the importance of it. And, you know, many of you are saying how God is beginning to shore that up and firm that up inside of you. So that is awesome. Okay? So by course, as we allow God to heal our identity and help us to walk in the God-given identity that he has for us, we will begin to see the what in our lives begin to unfold. But just because we do that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the enemy decides to take a break and go, oh, man, they figured out their who. Guess I'm just going to leave them alone now. All right? Now, you know, I'm joking a little bit, but obviously we have an enemy that hates us because he hates our Father in heaven and wants absolutely no part of his kingdom to advance any further than it already has and, in fact, would love it if it would take a couple of steps back. Amen? So to go, you know, to kind of key off of that this morning, the question that I want to ask us is, So though we begin to walk, right, we've got the who worked out, God's beginning to firm that up in us, and as we begin to walk that out, how do we continue to keep the who that we are in him and the what we are walking out for the kingdom in a solid place? How do we do that, okay? Well, one of the best ways, if we have a question that, you know, for the Lord, let's go to his word, amen? So I would like to say that this is a pretty good solution, Psalm 139 Verses 23 and 24. So search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, what is mentioned here as the place that we ask God to search for our anxious thoughts and anything that offends? What's the place? That's right. So let's take a look at another scripture verse that speaks to this truth as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks, fill it in the blank with me, at the heart. We've heard that before, but I kind of want to key off that today about our hearts as they apply to us continuing to walk out the who and the what. 
King David said in, the, in that Psalm 139, Lord, search me. Search me, God. Show me if there's anything in me. You know, that's how we keep that who and that what solid. It's our heart. We are to ask God to help us keep our hearts right. The word shows us to. If I'm having any trouble, I need to go to the Lord. That is the answer to it. That is how we keep that straight, by asking God to keep our hearts right. You know, at the end of the day, our heart is what we answer for. You answer for your heart. The heart of the matter, okay, if you've maybe heard it said that way before. Well, what's the heart of the matter? Let's get to the heart of the matter, right? You've heard that before? The heart of the matter is the truth. It's the truth behind any deception, behind any question, behind any doubt, right? You've got this story that you heard, you know, you've got two people conflicting and they're going at it and you're trying to resolve the issue or whatever and you've got this side, you've got this side. You need to get to the heart of the matter, which cuts through all of, all of the story and all of the deception and he said, she said and all this stuff. And when you get to the heart, you get right down to the heart of the matter is where you discover the truth. What is the true heart behind this? What is the motive behind what is going on? Now, that can apply to us doing good things. That can apply to us doing bad things. And I said it in the first service. You know, you may have somebody that you know who, like, is always helping out somebody, you know, and they're always lending a helping hand, right? And, you know, oh, this person, oh, they're so great. You know, they're always willing to lend a helping hand. You know, but, and that person may be doing that purely out of the goodness of their heart to be a helping hand. But we've probably known people that like to help because they expect something in return. Though on the surface it may look like they want to be helpful, their motives on the inside are something a little different. Or maybe their motives on the inside are truly, I want to just be a help to my fellow man. But that person, at the end of the day, the only one who knows the true motives of their heart besides God is them. And so it is for us. Besides God, the only one who knows the true heart of the matter for anything that you do is you. The proper positioning of your heart will continue to solidify and strengthen your God-given identity and your God-given destiny. That's the crux of what we want to say today. The proper positioning, we'll say it together, of our heart will continue to solidify and strengthen our God-given identity and our God-given destiny. You know, changing the position of your heart can change everything. Changing the position of your heart can change everything. I was reminded years ago there was a Bible study that I was taking a part of, and I was the one who was going to give the devotion that day. It was uh, in a, at the local jail in our town. I was going in there to do a devotion, and there was a young man who was part of the group that we were ministering to who was singing. And, um, and you know, just kind of leading, you know, leading in a, a song of worship. And, you know, we were kind of, you know, I remember just kind of being like, you know, kind of ho-hum, like just kind of going through it. And I had my devotion ready and that kind of thing. But... I, I never, re I didn't realize it, and I happened to look over, and, his, um, and all of a sudden, he had gone from just standing up and kind of leading the guys and singing to laying on the floor in worship before God. And when I looked over and noticed that he had done that, everything in the room changed. The atmosphere in the room changed. Not that he wasn't worshiping God before, but he had shifted his position to where he was trying to lead others in worship, and he shifted his position to where his heart now was just totally not paying attention to anybody else, and purely before the Lord. He had changed his position, and it changed the entire room. I spoke differently that day, and, uh, you know, I actually was uh, preaching at my dad's church that Sunday, 
And, you know, not only did it change the way I communicated that day, but it changed what I had to say that Sunday as well. And so, again, it can be with us. As we walk out the what in our lives, when we shift our heart, when we shift the position of our heart, it can change everything. That's why the Bible tells us to, guard, above all, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. God doesn't tell us these things for no reason. Amen? He does it because he wants to instruct us. Now, we're going to go back to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the scripture that we read just a moment ago. So there's two things that that scripture verse makes mention of. It says, not looking at appearances, all right? So Samuel is, te- is told in that passage to not look at outward appearances for, you know, I don't see the way man sees, but God looks at the heart. So there's two distinct things there. Not to look at what you see, but to look inside and to look at the heart, all right? Now, I want you guys to buckle up today because we have a lot of scripture that we're going to be reading, and, um, but I think it's going to help us set up some things for this point, and, you know, obviously the Word of God speaks a whole lot better than I do, okay? So, we good with that? All right, so it's going to be here. Just follow along with me, okay? But before we get into it, let me just kind of set this up a little bit. So, in that passage of scripture, we've talked about it before in the last couple of weeks, Samuel was sent to anoint the next king of Israel, he was there, you know, if you know the story, if we've, you know, followed the past, uh, passage of Scripture, he was there to anoint David. He was there to anoint David as the king of Israel. But what had just happened prior in that verse of Scripture was that Jesse had brought all of his sons out. He had totally forgotten David out in the field tending to the sheep. He'd left him out there, and all of his sons were there, all of his other ones. And Samuel saw the first son, and he was, the Bible says he was very rugged, he was very handsome. You know, and, and Samuel said, surely this is God's man. And that's when verse 7 came. God said, no, don't look at his outward appearance because I have rejected him. Man looks at the outside. I look at the heart. And so what was happening there was Samuel had been sent to anoint a new king, someone who was going to fulfill the criteria of the way that God looked at things because the current king was operating in a way and was operating in a focus that God did not look at, and that was King Saul. Now, the crazy thing to think about it is, is King Saul was also a man that God had appointed to be king of Israel. But somewhere along the line, and we're going to cover this just in a moment in Scripture, King Saul had sidestepped. His position had changed. And so what had happened was God now was sending Samuel to anoint someone who would do things his way and would follow a path that God wanted, who would be after his heart. So we've looked at these two kings in the last few weeks and multiple scriptures, as Pastor Quentin has brought this out, King Saul and King David, but they still have some things to teach us. So what I would like to do today is look at a specific point, at two points specifically in their reigns, uh, some important crossroads while they were walking out the who and the what in their reigns as king. So the first passage we're going to look at is 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 7 through 14. To some of them across the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly uh, slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Anybody ever had that happen to you before? You know, you're waiting on somebody and waiting on somebody, waiting on somebody. We can't go without them, and finally you decide, hey, I'm going to go. And no sooner than you go, what happens? They show up. So this is what Saul was walking through. I'm waiting for Samuel, I'm waiting for Samuel, I'm waiting for Samuel. Well, okay, I guess he's not going to show up. 
I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice myself. No sooner had he finished doing it on his own, here shows up Samuel. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. I felt compelled to take it upon myself to directly disobey a command that you had given me because I thought it would be best. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. Take a look at that note, exclaimed, because I'm going to bring that point out later. So Samuel exclaims, how foolish, how foolish, Saul. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. If any of you have ever wondered where in Scripture it calls David a man after his own heart, there it is. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Not a good day for Saul. But even as bad as that day was, is about to get worse. Let's jump forward to the book of uh, the chapter 15, which is two chapters later. We were just in 13, so let's turn over to 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to read the majority of this chapter. All right? Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Can you hear Samuel? Hey, bro, another shot. You going to listen this time? Like, this is the Lord. Like, write it down. Like, repeat after me. This, this, is, is the, the Lord. Okay, right? This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Look, y'all, this is the Old Testament. This was hardcore days. If you came against the children of Israel, God said, the judgment of the Lord is I will wipe you out. Okay? That's why this is so severe. The Amalekites literally came against God's chosen people and not only, like, you know, abused them, but, like, okay, like, fought against them, came against them, like, not good things. Okay? So, God's judgment upon them was to use Saul to go and utterly wipe them out. And the words were, do not spare them. In other words, I am bringing judgment upon them. I am using you to bring judgment upon this land. So when I say it, I mean it, get rid of all of them. I don't even want animals that are from their land to survive. Nod your head if you hear me. You know, it's kind of like that thing, okay? So Saul gathered... The people together and numbered them and telling him, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all of the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, 
alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, check this out, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. Do you see the path of where this is going? Okay? Set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. See, earlier it says Samuel exclaimed, how foolish. Now can you just, now can you just hear it in Samuel's voice, like literally because of what the Lord told him. It's not that Samuel didn't like Saul. Samuel was the one who was, you know, helpful in, you know, he, he anointed Saul just as he anointed David. So he was intimately involved in this, okay? And it says that he cried out to God all night for what God had told him. Like, it grieved Samuel. So the man's probably pretty tired, and he's pretty fed up with Saul. So in this moment, what's going on? Oh, we did all this and this and this and this. So he's not exclaiming anymore. Now he's like, bro, be quiet. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. Now you are going to hear what the Lord has to say to you. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. (laughs) Can you imagine? Saul's like, all right, man, tell me. You really want to hear this. I will tell you what the Lord said to me. When you were little in your own eyes... Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen. Got it? The people. The people did it, Samuel. The people did it. The best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because 
I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe. Can you imagine that? No, bro, come back. And it says, as he seized the edge of his robe, it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to the neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, and here's the part that just breaks my heart. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God, no longer my God, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Saul turned his back. Saul positioned his heart in a place where he was no longer listening to the voice of God. And so God removed him as king. Had David anointed, and David, as we've learned in the last few weeks, even David went through his own time of struggling with his identity. But now what we see, what we're about to read, is a man who is fully functioning, fully walking in the what that God has called him to. Amen? Like King David is like, we've gotten past all of this, and he is, he is king over Israel. He is anointed. His armies are doing what they do best. They are conquering territory for the Lord. But what happens is, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read it because uh, we have a few other ones to read. But in uh, 2 Samuel 11, for those of you who have read this passage before, you'll know what happened. But I'm going to paraphrase it really quick. But I will read the first line of it. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David remained at Jerusalem. And what goes on to happen there is because David remained at home instead of going out at a time where he was supposed to be fighting with his armies, he stayed home, walking out on his roof, and looking out over his kingdom, he saw a young woman bathing on the top of her roof, and it says his eyes saw her. She was very beautiful to behold. And instead of going, oh, man, his heart was filled with desire for her. He called her into his chambers. He laid with her and got her pregnant. So her husband served in the army. His name was Uriah. So David calls home Uriah because he thinks he's going to get this problem fixed because her name is Bathsheba. And she sends to David and goes, hey, King David, I'm pregnant. David has a problem on his hands now. So what he does is he calls Uriah home from the war, tries to get him to go home. You know, hey, man, you know, thanks for fighting for me. How goes the battle? Oh, it's going good, King David. Look, man, why don't you go home, spend some time with your wife, man. You've earned it. But what basically happens is Uriah won't go home to his wife. He sleeps at the gates where, his, uh, where the other soldiers are there, at the gates of the palace. And he says, my, my, basically, my fellow soldiers are out there fighting, man. Like, war's going on. That's where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be at home sleeping with my wife right now. I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not going to go do that. And so when David realizes that he's not going to do what he's trying to trick him into doing, 
he puts a letter in his hand, sends him back to the front lines to his general and says, I want you to put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and then have everybody step back. What do you think happened next? So, of course, Uriah was killed. And then once she got through the time of mourning, he took Bathsheba and claimed her for his wife. And then she bore him the son that he had gotten her pregnant with. The very last line of this passage of Scripture says, to put it quite simply, excuse me, what David, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Do you think so? This is a man after God's own heart, church. Like, we still remember King David. Look, we talk about King Saul, and we talk about all the ways that he's messed up. This is how we remember King Saul. Yet, when we talk about King David, we remember him as a great and mighty ruler, and he is. Was he a man after God's own heart? Yes, he was, and yes, that is still how he is remembered. But clearly, this is not David's greatest day. So what happened was 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to come to him, He says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, there were two men in the city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him, and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. You see David rising up in his righteous indignation? How dare he do that? How dare he take from the man who had nothing when he had everything and could have easily given of his own to give to this traveler, and he took from the man? That man needs to die. He needs to die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then David said, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. I was reading this passage this morning and it just broke my heart. It says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And this is right here. It says, and if, it had, if that had been too little, I would have given you more. Do you see the grace of God? Like, I gave you all of this, David. And if you would have told me it wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Did you not learn from who came before you? Why did you do this? You've taken, you've committed adultery, you've murdered, and you've sought to cover it up. And if we go down farther... In the passage, basically at the end of it, what David says to Nathan. This is purely what David says. After Nathan has called him on the floor, let him know, you have brought an occasion for your enemies to blaspheme God because of what you've done. Everyone knows how much God has favored you. Everyone knows how mighty the children of Israel are. Everyone knows how established the what that you are walking out in God is. Why have you done this thing? 
And David's response was simply, he said, Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That was David's response. Much different from Saul. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, in the time of both of these accounts, these were men who were established, very well established in the who they were in that time, and they were carrying out the what with great effectiveness, okay? Again, they were, at the time of these occurrences in both of their lives, they were walking out the what in their lives with great effectiveness. Yet both of them would face a challenge and a reckoning because they had sidestepped somehow. The position of their heart had changed, Saul was seeking glory and acceptance by sacrificing without Samuel and holding on the spoils of war instead of being obedient and seeking God's direction. And David was at home relaxing and seeing things he shouldn't have as a result when he should have been out with his army. Neither of these men were positioned where they were supposed to be, though they were in the middle of their destiny. Church, if our hearts don't stay positioned toward the Lord, our perception, our motives, our actions will begin to move in the wrong direction. And we may once again find ourselves in a crisis of identity where the Lord literally said about Saul, this is what you're walking in. I regret that I ever did this for you. And then David, literally with Nathan pointing in his face going, you are that man. You are that man. Today you know what you are. You're the king of Israel, but today you know what you are. You're an adulterer. You're, an, you're a murderer. You are that man. When both of these men were confronted with the truth of their sin, when they were confronted with what they had done, even though they were walking in their God-given destiny, they had decisions to make. Look, God will speak to us because he sent Samuel and he sent Nathan. It's not God's desire that we stay in sin. It's not God's desire that we stay in confusion. God will speak to us if we're wayward. He will get our attention to get us back in the right position. Again, it's not his desire for us to live that way. But it's up to us to listen, and it's up to us to make the decision to reposition when we're confronted with it. So let's look at the position really quickly as we're coming to an end here. Let's look at the position of Saul and David's hearts after these moments in their lives. The position of Saul's heart upon hearing God's judgment was an admission that he had feared the people more than the Lord. That's where Saul went. I have taken the throne from you today. Oh, that, that sounds really harsh. Hey, man, can, uh, can you still make me look good in front of my people? Galatians 1.10, Pastor Quentin's quoted it many times. He says, if I still aim to please men, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Plain and simple, I feared the people, and that's what motivated me. That's what positioned my heart to do what I did. Clearly, Saul's heart had positioned out of focus on the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, 24 through 30, when Samuel reveals Saul's true heart of rejection of God's word, his response is one of trying to save face, not of true repentance, not one of recognizing that he broke the Lord's heart. Samuel had to cry for his sin. Samuel wasn't even the one who sinned. He's the one that wept. He's the one that cried for his sin. Saul didn't even care that he'd broken the Lord's heart. Even telling Samuel that he wanted to worship your God. 
almost as if no longer his God, so much so that God said, I regret ever making Saul king. Now let's look at David. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David's response to God's judgment, because Nathan did pass judgment. You just go take a look at the scripture verse if you see what Nathan said. Basically said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, because David did repent, but there were still consequences he had to walk out, okay? But when David received the word of judgment, whenever he received the word, his response was simply, I've sinned against the Lord. David didn't backpedal. David didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to get out of it. He didn't try to worm his way out when he was called on the carpet for what he had did, for what he had done. Good English there. When David was called on the carpet for his sin, what he did was accepted it, he repented, and he worshiped. As evidenced in this passage of Scripture, Psalm 51 And hear it from the heart of desperation. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. And then this is the part of the passage that many of you probably know. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. Not your God, Samuel, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. What was David saying there? I did learn that from hearing about Saul. Lord, you desire obedience over than me just sacrificing. God, if I, knew I'd, if, if I knew that it would do it, God, I'd slaughter a thousand bulls, but that's not what you want. God, I know right now I've messed up. God, please Don't cast me away from your presence. Create in me a clean heart. My heart is towards yours, God. I've sidestepped. I wasn't positioned where I needed to be. But God, I'm positioning my heart towards you right now. Let me ask you something right now. With a heart like that, do you think that if God would have come down in that room and said, David, from this moment on, I forgive you. I am with you. My blessing shall be upon you. But your crown is gone. I don't think David would have hesitated to take that thing off the top of his head and said, take it. I don't want it, but cast me not away from your presence. 
pass me. He wasn't saying, oh, God, let me save face in front of everybody that Nathan just called me out in front of. God, don't let me look bad even though I'm the king and I blew it. Looking at these two scenarios purely from our viewpoint, if someone told us really quick, if both of those men at the same time, man, did you hear what Saul did? I don't know. What did Saul do? Dude. It's crazy, man. Like he he sacrificed before Samuel got there, and like you know he went and obliterated this this um, this town, and then he kept the king and all of the you know he kept the king so we could all laugh at him, and then he kept the livestock so we could sacrifice to the Lord. Doesn't really sound like he did all that bad, does it? Let's look at David, bro. Did you hear what David did? What he do, man? He. He, he slept at this woman Bathsheba. He got her pregnant, and then he had her husband killed, dude. In our eyes, in our motives, the way we see things, where are the weights going to fall? But that's not how God looks because, yes, though both men had messed up, God views sin the same. He hates it. So it needs to be dealt with. But what God was also looking at was the position of these men's hearts, and Saul blew it. And David did not. God knew that Saul had changed the position of his view of himself. That's why Samuel told him, when you were small in your own eyes, you're not even listening to me. I'm trying to come here to sacrifice, and you're off making an an altar to yourself. When you were little in your own eyes, he asked Samuel to worship so people could see him. The pursuit of God had stopped for Saul. When confronted, he sought to save face. David, though creating an opportunity for God's enemies to blaspheme him, look, he didn't seek to keep his position. He positioned his heart in humility. He got alone with God, and he got it right, and his pursuit of God strengthened. Do we see the difference here? God is looking for us to be like David. A man positioned after God's own heart. Going back to that verse in the start of Psalms 139, if we continue to ask the Lord to search us and show us the true motives behind the things we do, we might find there are things that we may not need to do anymore. Or we may find that there are things we're supposed to do and we're not doing. What's the heart behind our actions? Is it to be after God's heart or our own? Look, None of us are above messing up, okay? The point I bring this out is to show that these men were right at the pinnacle of walking in their divine God-given calling. Do you understand? It's for us to recognize, as we said at the beginning of this message, we have an enemy that never lets up. Now, that's not to be, you know, that's not to be sadistic and, and doom and gloom. It's to remind us to stay vigilant, to stay watchful. We said this morning before prayer that God is the God of new mercies every single day. And so if God's giving us new mercies every day, then that means, and I'll say this to myself first before anybody else in here. That means it is a daily call for us to search our heart and to search our motives to make sure that we are still in right position with God. Because if you give the devil an inch, he will take 14 miles. He's always looking for an opportunity. It's up to us to make sure, God, search me today, Lord. Search me today. Thank you, God, that yesterday was amazing. But, Lord, today I want to make sure that I start this day off right. Help me to walk in the paths of your righteousness. 
Somewhere along the line, David and Saul both sidestepped. And when they had that opportunity, they messed up. We will mess up, church. We will. I'm not trying to speak that, but I'm saying we live in an imperfect world and we are not home yet. Okay? We are not perfect. We are living. We are moving. We are walking in the power of our God who is making us more and more like him every day. But when we do mess up, it is our goal not to try and save face, not to try and cover it up, but to say, God, I want to take an honest look. Where am I positioned? And God, I need to position myself back towards you. We're to keep watchful because you know why? We need the Lord's help. There's things that God's called us to do that are too wonderful and amazing for us to do in our own strength. We need the Lord. But the good news is every single day that we ask for him, his help is there and readily available to us. The more we know the Father, the more of his character and heart we will take on. The challenge for us today is to continue to let the Lord search us, but to search us even deeper. In the days ahead, the position of our hearts have to continue to be after the Lord. God is doing such an amazing thing in this church right now, Anchor Family. But we have an enemy who would love nothing more than to derail the good work that God is doing. It is up to us to be wise of our enemy's schemes and to keep ourselves in a position where we can see where God wants us to go and not to go, oh, I guess I can phone it in today. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I've done that plenty of times. And I've found myself on a sidestep because I know these are some pretty extreme examples, okay? A man committing murder and adultery and a man who basically God said, I regret that I ever did this. Okay, it's not these extremes, but you know, we can find ourselves in simple ways. Simple ways. You know, for any of you who've ever, you know, traveled somewhere with a compass before, you can get one degree off when you set a compass. Just one degree. Not like, oh man, it's like way over here when I should be going this way. One degree. And you're like, oh, that's not that big a deal. I think I got it right. But if you travel a mile or two miles in that one degree off, you will find yourself incredibly off the mark from where you're supposed to be. God knows us. That's why he gave us his word. This isn't to say that we're like always going to live in constant danger of walking out of what God's called us to do. It's to recognize that we have an enemy that's going to seek to do anything he can to get us off. And when we fix our eyes and keep our hearts positioned towards God, we will continue to walk in his ways. Amen? We must be a people after the Lord's own heart even more than we are right now. And as we continue to have God search us and try our motives, it doesn't stop there. Here's the cool thing, okay? So you go to prayer, right? God, search me. Reveal what, you know, what, what is within me, God. If it's something of you that, uh, or something, Lord, in me that is not of you, show it to me. And then God shows it to you. And you deal with it and you get it right, right? That means it's not there anymore. What was standing in the way is now gone and you're that much closer to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That's what God wants for us daily to get closer and closer to him. And in the light of his great love and all that he has cleansed us from, how could we not want to be after his heart, to have his heart, to have his character, his identity, and to not only be like him, but to be with him? Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet. Just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, that as we have been learning, Lord, over these last weeks, God, we're not just here arbitrarily. We're not here just floating around, God. 
You love us so much, God, that you have a destiny and a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us in here. Lord, you've been going, Lord, through painstaking measures, Lord, through Pastor Quentin, God, to remind us the truth of your word, just how much, God, you want us to recognize our value in you. God, Saul was valuable to you. David was valuable to you. You had purposes and destinies for them. But, Lord, even they found themselves, Lord, in a misstep. But, Lord, when you revealed it to them, God, one chose to continue to trust in you and one chose to reject you. Lord, I pray today, God, I say that to say, Lord, that as we are walking, God, as we are doing what we can, God, as we are trusting in you and walking out our God-given destiny in you, Lord, that we may find ourselves at times, God, where we're struggling. But, God, I pray that we would not allow the enemy, God, to take, Lord, when you were trying to correct us and turn it and make us turn from you. Lord, it could have been very easy for David when Nathan pointed that finger at David and said, you are that man, for David to walk in that identity and go, well, I guess I'm done. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I guess that's my new identity now. I guess I can't do anything for Jesus anymore. But what happened, Lord, what happened? David didn't allow that to define him. He allowed it to change him and recognize where he had gotten off. God alone and worshiped you, Lord, and got it right. Father, that's a heart that is after you. Lord, I thank you that we have the ability to do it the same way, God, to keep our hearts before you. Lord, if we mess up, yes, but God, to get it right. And Lord, when we walk in victory for you to go, yes, I'm with you, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So I thank you for the victories in this room, God. I thank you for the identities that are being cemented in this place. But Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now, and has maybe found themselves in a place, Lord, where the position may be off a little bit. There may be a sidestep. Again, it doesn't have to be some huge major thing. Maybe it's just a slight degree off. Lord, I pray right now, God, that in our hearts we would continue to say, Lord, search me. And God, I mean it when I say search me. Reveal it to me, God, and that you would speak to us. And I'm so grateful that you do speak to us. And as you speak to us, God, that you change us because you love us, because you are good and your desires for us are good. Every single person in this room, I thank you, Lord, that your desires for them, your plans, your purposes for them are good. And so, Lord, I pray this day, Lord, as we go out, Father, that we would say, Lord, if there's anything in my heart I need to get right, please, Lord, forgive me. If there's anything, God, if there's any wicked way within me, reveal it to me, Lord, and let me, Lord, come before you. Create in me a clean heart, as David said. Lord, let me get it right. Humbly, I come before you, Lord. Not trying to save face, not trying to make excuses, but God, I just want to get it right because I want to be right before you. I want to be after your heart. God, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you love us that much. And Lord, let us continue to walk in your call, your destiny, your identity, and your purposes in our lives, Jesus, as we position our hearts towards you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.